This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now, join Ringler Radio host, Larry Cohen. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Ringler Radio. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, head of New England operations for Ringler Associates. Today we're coming to you from the 2008 AAJ Annual Convention located in the heart of Philadelphia, birthplace of the American Revolution, home of the nation's first capital, and I think the first cheesesteak. Now it's the fifth largest metropolitan area in the U.S., and uh, it's really a special city. I used to live here, as a matter of fact, some years ago, and it's uh, enjoyed a tremendous renaissance since then. Maybe it's because I left. You never know. And now I'm going to turn things over to my colleague, Bill Wakely, Settlement Annuity Specialist in the Philadelphia office, a local boy. He has a special guest, one of the plaintiff attorneys attending this year's AAJ convention, Mr. Paul Brandis, for a two-part program about the life cycle of a lawsuit. Bill, go ahead and introduce our special guest, and let's get things started. Thanks so much, Larry. Um, Hello, everyone, and and welcome to Ringler Radio again. uh, I am Bill Wakely, Structured Settlement uh, Specialist with the Ringler Associates Office here in Philadelphia. In case you're a first-time listener, don't forget that you should know that every Ringler Radio show can be downloaded from our website, www.ringlerassociates.com, or on the Legal Talk Network at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Did you ever want to know about the life cycle of a case from the beginning to, to the end? Today on Ringler Radio, we're going to do a two-part discussion on the life cycle of a case. This is part one of the discussion where we will explore how attorneys choose their cases. Um, our guest today is attorney Paul Brandis, partner in and senior trial counsel at the firm Valari Brandis & Klein. Paul has dedicated his career to representing victims of personal injury and catastrophic injury uh, via motor vehicle accident trucking accident, defective products, and, and especially medical malpractice. Paul is also a member of the Board of Directors of the Philadelphia Trial Lawyers Association and a member of the Birth Trauma Litigation Group of the American Association for Justice. Welcome to the show, Paul Brandis. Thank you for having me. Paul, um, one of the things that we want to start, talk about today is I think most people are aware of how a case or personal injury case ends, um, either with a settlement uh, or with a trial. But let's talk a little bit about how a case begins. So maybe let's start the show by discussing the rigid process of how do you pick a case? It's a very uh, rigid process. It's a process involving a lot of uh, investigation, a lot of close listening to your potential client, a lot of questions, uh, seeking uh, answers to hard questions, uh, and meeting with the potential client in the office uh, to find out what it is that they're wanting find out how they want to get it, and whether or not we can help them. It's a process where we extensively interview a client, two, three hours sometimes, go over documents with them, and give them a thumbnail sketch of whether or not we think there might be merit to a case or whether we think that they're basically barking up the wrong tree. Okay. So it's true you don't just call a lawyer 
pick up the phone, walk into the office, file suit, and you're off to the races. Far from it. Um, it takes uh, quite a number of months to investigate uh, a, a potential lawsuit to see if there's merit for it. And if there is merit for it, then doing your further investigation before you even go to file your lawsuit. Okay. Paul, who needs to be involved in the case at, at that early level besides you? Are, are there folks, obviously, besides yourself inside the firm that need to be involved? Do you go outside the firm to, to, to look into other people that might give you some advice on how to take this case or not take this case? The, the behind-the-scenes process is, is tremendously complex. It's not just me on the initial interview. It's my partner, Peter Valari, and our partner, Teresa Giannone, uh, we sit down with the client, we sit down with our nurse paralegal to go over the specifics of the case, and then we have a, a team meeting after the client leaves to discuss further uh, issues that need to be investigated, uh, further documents that need to be obtained, and then we first start going down the process of analyzing those documents, and then if we feel that there's merit to the case, sending it out to independent uh, medical experts, if it's a medical malpractice case, engineers, if it's a product defect case, to make sure that they feel that there's merit to a case. Okay. So obviously, depending on the complexity of the case, this can take a short while, a long while. What is a typical time frame where you might go through this initial process of coming up with, you know, do we take this case? In a standard auto accident case, a rear end collision, an intersectional collision, that's, that's an easy call. If you have a police report that says that the other party ran the red light, well, you know there's merit to that case, and you just have to investigate the extent of your client's injuries. On the other hand, the more complex or most complex cases, such as medical malpractice cases, uh, that could take months, three, four, five months to complete your investigation to make sure that there's merit to the case before you go and file a lawsuit. Okay. And what happens with, with the clients in that time frame? You know, that's a good point. You, you have somebody that comes into your office and says, you know, we have this case, you go through this long process of investigation. What does the client do in that interim? Well, the client can have as much or as little uh, interaction with the lawyer as they choose. Uh, I always tell uh, the clients, please call me as often as you see fit. If you have questions, if issues arise, uh, if you just want to know what's going on, or don't call if you don't feel the need to, but we'll call you when important events are going on. But we do expect the client to provide us with as much information, whether it's their doctor's names, any medical records that they may have obtained, uh, any diaries or journals that, that they may have kept, uh, tax returns if issues of wage loss are involved. So there is an active process for the client to be involved in. Uh, and further than that, they're entitled to be involved as much as they want in the process. Makes sense. Um, Paul, your practice also focuses on injuries involving children. Is it true that you have a 20 years to file a lawsuit in the case of a child? Why is that? On behalf, with regard to the child's injuries, you have uh, 20 years, uh, not from the day the child is born, uh, to file a lawsuit. Uh, in other words, if the child's injury happens at birth, you have until the two years after the child's 18th birthday to file a lawsuit because the law recognizes the child as in, incompetent or incapable of filing a lawsuit until the child reaches the age of majority, 18, and then the child has two years after the child's 18th birthday to file a lawsuit. Now, that doesn't mean that the parents can't file the lawsuit on behalf of the child before that time frame. Uh, a year after the birth, if it's a birth injury case and there's merit to the case, uh, six years after the birth, if there's merit to the case. 
Uh, with regard to the parent's individual injuries, however, that has to be filed two years after uh, the negligent conduct was uh, occurring or discovered to have occurred. Okay. Paul, let's discuss uh, some, of the, some of the hard facts, I guess, with this business and, and, and the return of investment for a firm. How, how do you know when you go through this process if a case is going to be profitable? I mean, this is a business, so you know, we always have to remember that. Uh, it's not just, you know, you take every case that comes in the door. How do, you, how do you go through that return on investment analysis? Well, we're, we're in the business of helping people who can't help themselves and helping them protect their rights. Uh, and first and foremost, we want to make sure that it's an investment uh, that's worthy of the client. There are many cases that come across uh, my door where there's no doubt that there was negligence and there's no doubt that there was some harm committed uh, by the negligent party. But that harm might not be enough to make it worth the client's while to pursue it. If I tell a client, you're going to be in this lawsuit for three years and I'm going to get you a recovery of $10,000 and after my fee and costs, you're going to get $3.23, I'm going to tell that client, it's just not worth your while. Life is too short to be worried about that. There are other avenues you can go down. Uh, if it's a medical negligence claim, you could report the doctor uh, to the review board. Uh, if it's a product defect claim, you could uh, advise uh, federal agencies that might be involved, for example, if it's a motor vehicle defect. Um, from the law firm's perspective, we want to assure, especially in a medical malpractice or product defect case, that we're getting a three-to-one fee-to-cost ratio. Our fee is typically one-third plus reimbursement of our costs. And in a medical malpractice or product liability case, we could outlay costs directly out of our pocket of up to $100,000 or $150,000. And the client does not have to reimburse us for that until we get a recovery by verdict or settlement for them. And that's what a contingent fee agreement is. So we have to be on the lookout of how expensive is it going to be for us in terms of hard dollars outlaid compared to the fee that we're going to generate back. Uh, this is a, a kind of a fascinating topic because I don't think a lot of people realize that, that what goes on leading up to, to this process. So we're going to talk a little bit about this in a few minutes. We're going to time time to take a short break right now when we'll return to continue our discussion on, on choosing a case with Paul Brandis. Well, time to take a very short break. But when we return, Bill and Attorney Paul Brandis will continue this freewheeling and interesting discussion. This is Ringler Radio, internet radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 130,000 cases structured. Ringler Associates, the only broker you need. Listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose a topic. We invite you to listen to our other shows on the Legal Talk Network and become a member. It's free at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to the Legal Talk Network. It's free. Did you know... Ringler Radio is one of the top three rated shows in iTunes. Thanks to all of our listeners who download all the Ringler Radio shows. Did you know that Legal Talk Network shows are also available as CLE? 
including Ringler Radio. Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's clecenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm your host, Larry Cohen. Joined today by my colleague and co-host, Bill Wakeley, settlement annuity specialist in the Philadelphia office, and attorney Paul Brandis, equity partner and senior trial counsel at the firm Valari Brandis & Klein. Paul, welcome back. Um, we've been speaking a little bit with Paul Brandis about um, how to pick a case, how a firm goes through the process of vetting a case and deciding whether they want to take a case. How, this is a, maybe a tough question, Paul. How do you tell a client that comes in with what they think is a, a, a very important incident in their life or event in their life, a traumatic event in their life. How do you tell a client that you can't take the case? You know, it, it, in most instances, it's not as difficult as you would think because in the, in the traumatic injury case um, where the client and the attorney know that it's not a slam dunk, that there, it, there has to be investigation, Many times you will get on the phone with a client to say, look, we, we've had this medical malpractice case reviewed by this board-certified doctor in obstetrics, for example, or in orthopedics, for example, if it's an orthopedic malpractice case. And the independent expert reviewed all of the facts and determined that while an injury did occur, it was not due to negligence. Or if there was negligence, the negligence really didn't contribute to causing the harm. And in many of those instances... The client, having retained competent counsel, is satisfied that they at least went down the road of investigating, and they got an answer that's an informed answer that's based on the factual merits of the case, uh, that it was reviewed by an expert, and they, they have the solace of knowing that, look, I've gone down the road, I've done the investigation, I found out from the professionals that there's not a meritorious case here. Now I can go on with my life without looking back and wondering what if, what if I had gotten a lawyer and things of that nature. Now, sure, there are cases where a client believes, in all honesty, that they have a very meritorious case. But we as a law firm or the experts tell us that, you know, this is not a case that, that should be filed. Uh, in those situations, yeah, those are more difficult uh, where you have a client that's emotionally invested with, with the, the tragedy that has occurred to themselves, which is their family member. And yeah, those are difficult conversations. And we strongly encourage those clients that if they, uh, for whatever reason, still have doubts and want to get a second opinion, by all means, uh, they should do that. Um, you know, it's, it's a situation where it's the client's interests that are paramount, that are most important. And while we might not be able to take the case, maybe they would find an attorney that could take the case. You know, that brings up a good question, uh, Paul. Do you get, uh, I don't, I don't want to say it's like a second opinion in the, in the medical community, but do you get cases that have gone to other firms or other attorneys that now come to you and say, hey, this was rejected elsewhere, we'd like you guys to look at it? Or by the same token, do you get calls from other attorneys saying, you know, I got this case, it looks like a good thing, would you guys take a look at it? Quite often that happens. Uh, we often get phone calls from potential clients that said, I've met with uh, John Jones' attorney and he looked at my case and said, I don't have a case, would you please look at it? 
and uh, quite often uh, we'll take a look at those cases because on the face they look interesting or they look like they might have merit. And uh, we've made quite a bit of money for our clients uh, in cases like that where we've uncovered uh, additional facts or dug a little bit deeper and found smoking guns, so to speak, that have made uh, what was perceived by one attorney not to be a case to be a very strong case. And likewise, we will get uh, calls from attorneys who don't specialize in product liability or don't specialize in medical malpractice or don't specialize in civil rights matters and say, you know, I have this client that came to me. I don't know quite what to do. Can you please take a look at it? And uh, quite a bit of our business is based on referrals from other attorneys uh, in our area in Pennsylvania and throughout the country. That makes sense. Uh, you know, and I'm glad you brought that up because I'm sure there's attorneys out there that have specialties in other areas that, you know, uh, a layman may come in and think, well, they're an attorney, they can handle anything. And they come in and they, they have a birth trauma case and they're an estate attorney right. or they're a personal injury attorney that does not handle medical malpractice. So it makes sense that you would get referrals in, in those in those instances. Absolutely. It's uh, good attorneys know what their limitations are. Uh, and you're right. Just because you're, you have a law license doesn't mean that you're an expert immediately in bankruptcy law or trusts and estates. Uh, if I have a bankruptcy matter or a trust and estates matter, if I have a family member that calls me and says, Paul, I need you to answer this question on a trust and estates matter, I tell them right away, you're barking up the wrong tree. And I send them off to, uh, to attorneys that I know that I'm very comfortable with that deal with those types of issues that I'm not uh, expert in or competent in. It's good to know your limitations. It's the same with radio hosts. We should all know our limitations. What, Paul, I don't know if you can tell me this, but what percentage of cases do you think, and, and, and maybe just a guesstimate, that may come in the door in the course of a year, do you reject? That's a good question. And it's the more jurors I speak to in jury selection and uh, the more jurors I speak to after cases that I've tried, there's a tremendous misperception in the uh, local community and nationwide that you walk into a lawyer's office and they're going to file a lawsuit. Um, I would say that of all the contacts that we have, either from clients themselves or referral sources, uh, or, or through the, our internet uh, website, uh, that of all those contacts, we probably choose to investigate 20 or 20% of those contacts. Uh, that means a good 80% of the contacts that we get, while they're good-intentioned phone calls from potential clients or referral sources, we just know that there's, they're not meritorious claims. And of those uh, 20 or 25% of the cases that we choose to investigate, uh, I would say that at least uh, a half, that, that a good majority of them end up being meritorious cases that are worthy of a lawsuit. Okay. Can you, maybe in, in two different uh, questions here, give us kind of a real-life example of a case that came in the door that, that you may have rejected and, and the process you went through and why it was rejected. And then maybe the flip side, give us a case that came in where you said, yeah, this is a good case. We're going to run with it. Sure. Um, a good example of that, uh, of a case that came in the door and frankly, initially on its face seemed somewhat questionable was a medical malpractice case that we had involving a, a, a stillbirth, death of a, of, a, of a fetus right before delivery. Uh, and it came in, and my partner, uh, Peter Valari, and I looked at the matter, and, you know, question marks were coming into our heads. Is this really a case? Is this not a case? And we were really struggling with it. And our partner, Teresa Giannone, uh said, you know, let me take a look at it, put a fresh pair of fresh eyes to it. 
And she, after a couple of days, she realized that we had a record, uh, a document from the doctor's office in that case, which seemed to be different than another copy of the same record we had received uh, from the doctor's office a month earlier. And she compared the two and recognized that the doctor had changed the record and changed it essentially to cover up what turned out to be negligence. And But for Teresa's close eyes and fresh eyes to the matter, we would not have recognized that. And that case ended up going into suit and it ended up settling and bringing some type of justice to, to that family. Uh, in another matter, uh, there have been cases where you know, we've, we've chosen to investigate them uh, to our eyes. A product defect case, for example, we thought that it was a defective product. Uh, the client had provided us with certain facts and certain documents. Uh, and we choose to go through investigation where we think, based on our professional experience, that it's a meritorious case. But sometimes you get documents later down the road from the manufacturer that shows that, you know, they, they did make a state-of-the-art product. And what we thought might be defective was not defective for that time frame. Uh, and in those cases, we will advise the client that, you know, yeah, in 2008, we might consider that product effective. But back when your accident happened in 2006, the manufacturer had made that product to the state of the art. Uh, and there was no uh, there was no defect in it, at least when you look at it in 2006. Uh, and those cases, unfortunately, then have to be closed. Not always what the client wants to hear, but sometimes the, the, the truth is what it is. Um, last question, Paul. Do you have any advice to individuals out there who are struggling, I guess, with two things, struggling with the question of, do I bring a lawsuit? You know, there's a lot of folks that we talk to that say, well, you know, this happened and that happened, but I don't really want to get into a litigation. I don't want to do a lawsuit. Or second half of that question, struggling to find an attorney. You know, how do they find the right attorney to handle their case? Well, the, the first question is, should I or should I not file a lawsuit? Uh, that's, that's a personal matter. That's something that you have to talk with with your family members. Um, but ultimately, especially in a catastrophic claim where you have a, a brain-damaged baby or you have a, a victim of a car accident who's paralyzed, you have, to pr you have to look forward. You know, what's going to happen with, with that family member 20 years down the road or 30 years down the road when mom and dad uh, are gone? Uh, you know, is there going to be money that's going to help take care of that person who can't take care of themselves? And while people in that situation might say, you know, I've never filed a lawsuit before. I'm not a litigious person. Uh, I don't like people that file lawsuits. Suddenly, they're, they're on the front lines in reality saying... You know, I never realized what it's like to have to be faced with, should I file a lawsuit? And in those catastrophic claims, more often than not, uh, the, those clients recognize that, you know, it's not about how they're going to be perceived by their neighbors. It's about the long term and what's going to happen with their loved one. Uh, you know, we have to show them that in a life care plan, for example, uh, where a person has to be cared for for life that's paralyzed or that's brain damaged, you could be talking about medical expenses upwards of 10 or $20 million over that person's lifetime. Well, when mom and dad are gone, if it's, God forbid, a baby who's brain damaged, who's going to pay for all that? What is the healthcare system still going to be the same uh, then as it is now? 
Uh, is is the family going to have money to pay for that? Where is the child going to live when they're 30 years old and the parents are dead? If it's an only child, for example, who's going to pay for the uh, uh, assisted living facility, which could cost two, three hundred thousand dollars a year? And once that reality comes into focus, those those families more often than not recognize this is about my loved one. It's not about me. We need to get them protected. Uh, and if there's a meritorious case to be filed, that's one of the ways to do it, uh, to, to have the person responsible for causing the injury uh, essentially brought to justice and forced to stand up and take responsibility for their negligent conduct. And that's a good point. You brought up another good point. A lot of times that's how exactly we get involved in a case. We have, you know, we deal with a law firm that, that says, hey, we have this life care plan that says this person's going to need X amount of money at a 3% or a 4% increase for the rest of their life. And and if the person's four or five or six years old, you know, we're talking a potential of, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years down the road. So a lot of times that's something that the family doesn't look at or doesn't consider uh, because they always think they'll be around. Right. You know, we'll always be around for the kid, and, and, and really that's not the case. And when you, when you get a, a structure like that, a structured annuity or structured settlement, uh, I always tell the client, you're basically creating a life insurance policy uh, for yourself when you're talking about them buying the annuity for their, their loved one, whether it's their child or their husband, uh, because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And God forbid you should be stricken by an injury or God forbid you should yourself die. There's, you know that there's always going to be money flowing in from that annuity to take care of your loved one. That's great. That's great. Um, Paul, can you give us a little information on, on how people can get in touch with you if they have questions about anything that you talked about on the show or, or cases that they're involved in or that they've heard about? Well, they can contact me through our website, www.vilarilaw.com. That's V-I-L-L-A-R-I-L-A-W. They can contact me through email, P as in Paul, B-R-A-N-D-E-S uh, at vilarilaw.com. Uh, and they can also call me. Uh, we have an 800 number, 888-729-2901, uh, locally in the uh, Philadelphia area, 610-729-2900. Great. Thank you, Paul. And uh, I can be reached at Ringler Associates in Philadelphia at 800-869-9450 or email at bwakely at ringlerassociates.com. Thanks for listening, and go out and make it a great day. Thanks, Bill. Great topic today. And a special thanks to attorney Paul Brandis for joining us on Ringler Radio right here at the 2008 AAJ Convention in Philadelphia. I'm your host, Larry Cohen. Thanks for listening. And let me remind you, part two of this discussion will be available shortly. Now go out and go have a great day. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Ringler Radio is produced by broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network.